grin and you're up front and you see somebody with a mask and like you can see that they're, you know, just right here kind of grin up a little bit. You're like, this is fun. Or there's a bright light and they can't see anything. Right? And so it is, it's good to be here. Last summer we started worshiping in the park on the first Sunday of every month. And that was our plan for this summer. Um, we had meant to do that in April, in May, in June. And here we are in July and we're finally getting to do it. And so I, it's just so good to be here. And then it's this weird sense of normal. Um, knowing that it's also 4th of July, we know we've got a lot of folks who are out and about camping, having fun somewhere, um, and blessings to them as they are so. Um, you know, it's just a great weekend for us um, to remember the blessings that we have. And so um, here we are before the Word of God, and that is the best blessing that any of us could have. Likely, the people that the king is entrusted to. 
right? The people that the king is responsible for, these are his people, his kingdom, his subjects, that are singing this love song, if you will, towards him. And as we think about that, that, that is going to set the, the tone for a lot of this. And one of the reasons I say that is because if I was going to write a love song about my wife, or if my wife was going to write a love song about me, the things that are written here are not the things that either one of us would say to the other one. These are the very things that, that a people would say to their king. Okay? So first you need to know that the love song most likely written from the perspective of the, of the kingdom, of the subjects. And it's to the king. We actually see that as well um, in the verses here. Um, in, in verse 1, the second line, it says, I address my verses to the king. Right? So he's, they're writing the song to the king. And again, that's interesting because when you think about the psalms, they are songs, they're a hymn book of, of praise to God. And, and yet this is actually first not addressed to God, but to a king. Now we'll come back to that. That's going to make a lot more sense by the time we get to the end. What I also want to talk about before we read it is its purpose. Because as you think about why a song is written, there's a few things why this song might have been written. And there's three, three thoughts I want you to, to have as we start here. The first is the word honor. The first is the word honor, right? So Israel had many, many, many four kings. If you've ever read the Bible, if you've ever read through the Old Testament in particular, what you read about is a series of really unfortunate leaders who do really terrible things. And yet, in the midst of that, there are a handful of really, really great leaders. And so, on the one hand, this is kind of a, an honoring of those great leaders. If you had a king, like the one that's described in this psalm, it would be worth singing about. Right? That's what we're going to discover as we get into this. It's worth singing about both um, as an encouragement to that person, right? It's, we want to be a people that encourages. And so when you see something good, you want to you tell them you see that. The other thing that we see here is that it's also a praise of encouragement to the Lord for having done this good thing in this king. Because apart from God, there is no good. Apart from God, there is no good thing. So that's the first thing we're going to see is honor. The second thing I think we should see is teaching. Perhaps they have a drinking, and they're not quite sure yet what they're going to get. I mean, the track record would kind of lead, as a new king comes in, for people to assume this is not going to go well. More kings failed miserably than did really well. And so maybe as this young or new king is coming into power, they sing this song to say, hey, king, this is the man we need you to be. This is the king we need you to be. And so it's a teaching. It's a way for them to say, hey, king, we need you to be good. We need you to love Jesus, or love God, rather. And so you see the honor, you see the teaching. And the third thing that we need to see is affection. There is a sharing of affection. And, and as we consider this as a love song, yes, it gets a little bit mushy. It gets a little bit sensitive. To the men here, all right, we may have to be stretched a little bit as we read this, okay? Uh, because ultimately what we're going to be seeing is that it's talking about Jesus, and it's talking about our relationship to Jesus. And I am pretty uncomfortable with sometimes with that phrasing of like, well, I'm the bride, 
sensitivity and emotion that some of us shy away from. Ultimately, what we're going to see, and I'll tell you this now, I'll give you all this now so if you read this, you've got more information, is that ultimately this song is about Jesus. When it talks about this king, there's only one king that could really this, and that's Jesus. The book of Hebrews in chapter 1 actually quotes part of this to talk about Jesus. Right? So the Bible tells us that the king we're singing about in this song, that we're learning about today ultimately is Jesus. And I think for the Christian, for you and I, that gives us a context. That gives us a way to, to read through this and hear this and know what was intended. And so you've got to know that this song ultimately is about Jesus. Before I read it, I have one more tiny tidbit. Because that's an invitation for you. At the beginning of, of this psalm, at the beginning of this song, the end of verse 1, the, the audience says these words, My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. My prayer this week, all week, for every one of you and anyone who might listen to this online, is that, is that you would be, your tongue would be like that of a ready scribe. What is a ready scribe? A ready scribe, a scribe is someone who writes, right? And so they are ready to record, they're ready to write. They are focused on the words that are being spoken so that they can accurately write them and share them and encourage others with them who weren't present. So my prayer for us as Calvary Church this week has been that we would be like a ready scribe. And my question for you is, did you come to this pavilion today ready? Do you come to church ready for the Lord to speak to you? And then ultimately to be the voice by which the Lord speaks to somebody else this week. My prayer for all of us is that we are, and that we are ready for that. Let me read Psalm 45 for us. It says, My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously to cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome arrows are sharp in the heart of his enemies, the peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory towels to string instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people in your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The peoples of Seir will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In places, her father shall be your sons, 
that you will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Friends, as I read this, um, I just, like I said, am struck by how un, um, how imagery has nothing to do with what uh, a, a woman would say to a man. <laughs> right? Writing a, an affection and love. We too should be a people that are attractive, that 
people I want to be around. Well, if this is the king, there's someone that the people want to be around. As we move forward, we continue to read through this list. We'll move through the rest of these a little bit faster. But he has grace on his lips. What does that mean? It means he's kind. Right? It means that the words that come out of his mouth are sweet words. They're not harsh. It means that, that they're full of forgiveness. They're full of love and compassion. They're full of good things rather than ugly things. Israel had a lot of kings who had really, a lot of really harsh things on their lips. What they needed was a king with grace on their lips. The next thing we see as we move through this is blessed. At the end of verse 2, it says, Therefore God has blessed you forever. Right? The king of Israel should certainly be a person who's living a blessed life. For whom God is blessing. The trouble is, we often conflate blessing with, with niceties. Right? We often, I mean, you see it on Facebook, all that hashtag blessed, got a new car. Yeah, well, maybe that's a blessing, but maybe that's not. Maybe you're going to wrap that new car around a pole tomorrow, and suddenly your blessing turned into a nightmare for everybody you know. Right? So here's the deal. Blessing is something that comes from God. Blessings are, are beautiful and wonderful, and they are things that only come from God. someone who, who does what we are supposed to do to bless others, and that's sharing. The book of Genesis is God blesses Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm blessing you so that you will be a blessing to the world, to the nations. Next up, this king is someone who girds his sword on his thigh. Most of us get uncomfortable with the word thigh, to be honest. Um, swords on your thigh, what is it? That is a ready sword. That is a sword that can be pulled at any moment, ready to defend his people. The best kings of Israel were those that were ready to defend his people, their people, the people of Israel, the people of God, with enemies inside and out. And this is the king that we read about. Next up, we have in, in verse 3, a mighty one, splendor and majesty, right? This, this is a king who's strong, who is able to do what the king is supposed to do and wants to do. He is able. Next up, moving a little bit quicker even, we find the word victorious. Verse 4, in your majesty, ride out victoriously. What does that mean? That means the king, when he leaves to go to battle, already knows he's going to win this thing. Right? He's riding out victoriously, not riding in victoriously. How powerful is that image? Right? Kings don't ride out. Human kings do not ride out victoriously. They can't. They can only ride back in victorious after the battle is won. But the king, this king, rides out knowing the end. The next thing we see is that this king is a fighter. In verse 4 it says, for he's a this is what they're getting the victory for, by the way. For the cause of truth, meekness, and righteousness. Truth, meekness, and righteousness. Truth. This king defends the truth. What is true? This king also defends meekness. That's an interesting way to say it. I think the best way to think about that is, is defends those who are meek. Right? Those who are meek. Those who need help. King defends 
righteousness. The king picks up the cause of righteousness in the world. Friends, just as a, a little bit of an aside here, we, the people of the king, then we too should be kind of living these things out. We too should be fighting for truth, for the meek, and for righteousness in the world. The church should be on the forefront of every righteous cause. Okay? And too often the church is found on the, on the end of it, at the, the backside of it, trying to catch up. We should be a people who are fighting for truth, for the meek, and for righteous causes. This king is worthy of praise, but not just the king. 
into place. Right? Whose throne is this that is forever and ever? Jesus said it. Your throne, O God. It's God's throne that is forever and ever. The throne this king sits on is God's throne. And as it talks through this, the, the, the righteousness, hating wickedness, and therefore God, your God, which verse 7, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. And it goes on to just talk in praise and honor of who God is and who Jesus is. Friends, we need to be people who get more comfortable with some flowery language about Jesus, because that's the scripture that I want. And so what we started with was a teaching, the teaching of, of the characteristics of who this king is. The next thing that we see is the praise of this king, and ultimately praise of God. Because it is only by God's good grace that there is any good in this world. We can look at that in ourselves as well and in the world. Right? When it comes to the Christian, we have been given grace to become something we weren't. Now, when it comes to the world, you often ask the question, well, isn't there good in the world outside of Christ? And we say, well, yes. That, too, is also from grace, from God, what we often call common grace. A grace that, that covers over all of the world, that keeps it from being as bad as it could be, that keeps parents loving their kids at least some of the time, that keeps couples together, Right? Any good in this world comes from God. And so when we see good, whether in the church or outside of it, we need to be a people who thank God for it, who praise God for it. So we see the teaching, we see the praise, and then what we see is a spectacle. And this is where we're going to land today. We see a spectacle here. And you and I need to be a little more comfortable with the spectacle. Verse 10. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Right? It moves into this, this, this song uh, about us, ultimately, about the people who are singing to their king. In verse 13, it starts getting a little bit interesting. All glory is with, uh, all glory is with the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold, and many colored robes she has led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her with joy and gladness they led along as they enter the palace of the king. What we get here is a spectacle of a procession of the people of God being brought before the king, presentable as a bride. In weddings, let's be honest, weddings are a spectacle. Like that's their whole purpose. Big, fancy wedding is a spectacle. It's meant to get everybody looking and watching and wondering, right? And that's what we see here in robes of many colors, I love to think about that being a, a bit of the diversity that we would see in the kingdom of God, the different kinds of people that come before the Lord, people of every tribe, nation, and tongue. And they come before marching in parade with each other. Right? There is a spectacle here. And in verse 10, it talks about a daughter. And I want you to know right now, whether you're a man or a woman, you are a daughter. Okay? Just accept it. 
passage goes. And here's what it says. It says, Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Daughters, all of us, this is an invitation from the king to take our old lives and put them down. Every bit of them. Put them down, put them behind us, and step into the new life. Right? You would not expect that if a king chose a, a princess to come before, that she would continue to live in the hovel she grew up in. Right? Cinderella does not stay a servant in the castle. When the king invites a daughter to come and be wed to him, he invites her into his glory to leave everything else behind. See, and here's the spectacle. When the king invites a peasant, and we too are peasants, aren't we, into the castle, all the people in the castle and in the, the kingdom say, what a scandal. Friends, it is scandalous that you and I are invited into this kingdom, into this castle, to be in a relationship with Jesus. It's a spectacle. But we are told that if we would just leave our old lives behind, that we would become desirable to the king. The thing is, none of us are actually able to do that on our own, but the king must actually remove the old lives from us in order to make us desirable. And here's the thing, church, daughters, <laughs> here's the thing, that's what he does. That is what he does. This is a spectacle for us to watch, to see, and to take joy in. Because we are the bride of Christ. We are the church. And this is what he does. And he dresses us in fancy dress that causes everybody to think and to wonder and to be in awe and marvel. And my thought as I read through this is, this isn't me. Right? Is this you? Are you someone who's marching through Lahana as a spectacle to the love and power and joy of Jesus Christ? Or are you someone who's still living as a peasant trying to make her way through the castle? See, we often live on the wrong side of the cross. We often live as sinners sitting in sin. But we're not sinners sitting in sin. We are kings and queens. We are princesses and princes who have been made to be royal. Here's the proof. You get into scripture, into the New Testament, and it talks about the reign of Christ. 2 Timothy 2.12, here's what it says. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Reign is a kingdom word, right? Kings reign. It says that if we endure, we will also reign with him. Revelation 20, verse 4 says, I saw thrones, they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and to the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. You too get to live and reign with Christ. 
with the authority that goes with that. To be a spectacle for the king. To show him off. To make him know his goodness and his beauty. And when we do that, here's what happens. It actually tells us at the end here, verse 16 and 17. It says, in place of your father shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. Let me just focus on that first and we'll move to verse 17. In place of your father shall be your sons. What that means is that we're not looking back, we're looking forward. What that means is we're no longer focused on what has been, but on what God is doing. And what he promises is that there will be sons. Sons carry the family name forward. One of the most powerful moments in the movie Lord of the Rings, and the second one, is the book. And yes, I'm making Lord of the Rings reference 20 years too late, okay? I get it. There's a king, and he loses his son. His name is Phaedon, if you remember the movie at all. He loses his son, and as they're burying him, he says, Long have we buried my ancestors in the halls, and this is now where I bury my son. It's the most depressing moment in the entire movie, but what's the moment he realizes his line is done. There is no future for his kingdom. When there is a new king, it will not be his son. It will not be his family. It will be somebody else. What God has promised us is we are his bride, and we live the way that he's called us to live, is that the son's name will continue forever. Here's what it says. I will cause your name to be remembered. Your name is the king's name. To be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Friends, we need to be a people who are living in such a way that Jesus' name is forever and ever. Now, we know his name is going to be forever and ever, right? That's a promise that's made. But the question is, are we a part of that? Or, or are we still living as peasants in the king's household? My prayer for us is that we would be a people are ready to rise, to hear, and then carry this message out from this place. Because we live in a community that is desperate for truth, that is full of meek people, that is failing in righteousness, and needs a king and his family to come and, and fight the already victorious fight of that prayer for us is that that would be us this week and every week moving forward. Would you pray for us, would you? God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your encouragement here, Lord. We come before you honoring you and glorifying you, our King. Lord, I know that, that we do not do this perfectly, and there's a lot of times when we are, are just clumsily struggling through life when what you have offered to us is something so much more. God, as we come into the time of communion today, I, uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us, would convict us. I pray that the Spirit would, 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 would reach in and just say, yes, this is where you need to grow. This is where, where you need to grow. This is where you will find me in your life. And this is what you need to get rid of in your life to do this well. God, I pray that your evening for us today would be fresh as we consider our sin confess it before you, lay it down, and take up the new life that you've given to us. 
Thank you, Richard, for the conversation. We do all of this. Amen. Amen.